Refuge, what's up? Whoa. How you guys doing? Um, my name is Scott. I know there's some new people here. Uh, my name is Scott. Nice to meet you. I met a couple of you at the Connect table. Um, glad you guys are all here tonight. Very happy. Anyways, let me ask you a question tonight. How many people have ever been... Um, somewhere where you just realize you were lost, like maybe it's in a city, maybe it's in the mountains, maybe it's in, raise your hand if you've ever just found yourself, you're looking around and you're like, dude, I am lost in the middle of nowhere. There's only like four people tonight that have ever been lost in the middle of nowhere. You guys are just great, uh, you know, great navigators. Okay. Um, you guys are getting some note sheets right now. Um, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories of when I've been like totally, utterly lost. First story, I grew up hunting. Any hunters in the house? Anybody? Really? Sarah, you can just go out and just shoot things? In Texas? Like animals or people? Both. Any other hunters? Any hunters? No, we don't really have a lot of hunters here in Las Vegas. Well, listen, I grew up hunting. Listen up, guys. I grew up hunting. Um... And you guys, are, you guys are just talkative tonight. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun night. I'm feeling it. Um, anyway, so I grew up hunting. We didn't really usually hunt like big game, which is deer and elk and those types of things. We hunt birds, so it's kind of more cruel, I guess you could say, like the little innocent birds. That's my family. We just grew up like during hunting season, not, well, pigeons, you just like shoot with a pellet gun. Uh, I didn't endorse that, but uh, maybe. Um, but anyways, we, we go hunting. So me and my brother are, and my dad and my stepdad, we are hunting, um, these two birds that they open the same, they open meaning it's hunting season time. Um, and maybe you've heard of these birds. The first one is a quail. Anybody heard of a quail? Um, little, they've got the little feather going on. Uh, they're, they're cool to hunt. And then they're kind of sister bird. I don't know how you would say that, but, uh, it's called a chucker. Has anyone ever heard of a chucker? Okay, so me and my, my brother and my stepdad are hunting chucker and, and quail. And they're not like normal birds. Like we also hunt duck and geese. And duck and geese, what you do, it's, it's really unfair. You like camouflage yourself and you like fake like you're a duck. Like they have like these things that cover you that look like you're a goose. Okay, how mean is this? And they come and they're like, oh, there's our friends. And they go to land and you just like pop out of it and boom, just blow them away. I mean, if you think they had like, you know, they had like emotions, you'd feel really bad for them. But um, chucker and quail are not like that. Chucker and quail, they, when, they, when they run, or when they, they don't really fly very high. They run on the ground, and then when, if they get scared up enough, they, like, fly really low, okay? So hunting chucker and quail, for me, is a little more fun because you actually have to hunt them. Like, you go and hunt them. You have to, like, you know, put a backpack on and walk and try to, like, find these little things, okay? Um, it's not, like, mean hunting. I don't really think any hunting's mean. I'm not, like, PETA guy over here. But um, if you are, I apologize. But anyways... Um, so me and my brother are, are hunting quail and chucker, and my stepdad's this way with his buddy, and they're, you know, doing their thing. And me and my brother got a game plan. We said, okay, there's this ravine right here and all these mountains all over the place. What we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to go around this way. You're going to go here. I'm going to go here. And we're going to go, and we're going to meet up in the middle. And at some point, we're going to scare up some quail and chucker and just don't shoot me, and I won't shoot you, and we'll be good. He says, okay. So uh, we, I didn't get shot. That's not the moral of the story, okay? Um, people are like, dang, that would have been a funny story. Um, so anyways, we're hunting, and I, I'm trying to scare up, and maybe we did, but then we're not very good shots, so we probably missed or whatever. But at some point, we met up, and, um, 
And we're like, man, we didn't do anything. We suck or whatever. And, and like we turn around and it's like one of those things where maybe I'm just a scaredy cat, but I'm looking around and my heart starts racing because I know I'm, I have no idea where I am. And how we always gauged where we are is at the top of the ravine, you could look down and you could see our hunting trailer. We didn't sleep in tents. Like we were like, you know, like five-star hunters. So we had like this trailer. So if you could see the antenna of the trailer and like the whole rig, I knew that's where we stay tonight. So there's a place to lay my head that's not with the quail and chucker and the mountain lions. So, but I start freaking out. And my brother's like, you're such an idiot. Stop. And I'm just like, no, seriously, we're lost. And I'm, you know, again, I'm this tall and he's this tall. And we're trying to figure out where are we? Because that mountain looks like that mountain. And, and that rock looks like that rock. And seriously, we're lost, TJ. He's just like, dude, shut up. We'll, we'll figure it out. You know, he's like trying to be tough guy scared. He's like, dude, I'm fine. He's like, okay. <laughs> Shut up, you're such a wuss. And I'm just like, yeah, you are too, but you don't know where we are. So I don't care if I'm a wuss, we are lost. And all we needed to do was get to the top of the ravine and we saw the trailer way down there. Okay, okay as long as we see the trailer, we're good. Um, I don't know if you've ever been hunting or anything like that, but this one I think we can all relate to. How many people have one of these? Uh, a smartphone or an iPhone or we're spoiled now as this generation because when I first started driving, if I had to go to my friend's house, I had to go online on mapquest.com and I had to print out directions. Even before that, like our parents, they actually had to have like a map in their car. I don't know if you know what a map is. Anyone know what a map is? But like they had to pull it out and, and they're like, where are we? And we're so spoiled. Now we have this little map phone computer thing in our pocket. But have you ever been somewhere when, I mean, this is, this is sad and your heart starts racing, but your little 3G logo disappears and the blue dot stops moving, right? Like you're driving and you're like, okay, we're coming up. And you're like, oh no, the blue dot is not moving, right? I don't know. Or, or sometimes the blue dot will have this huge blue circle around it. And that signifies, we really have no idea where you are, Scott. So we'll just put this huge blue circle and act like we know where you are. But you could be anywhere. And the blue circle goes from like California to Florida. And you're like, super cool. Thanks, iPhone man in the sky that you're, you, you, you don't know what's going on with my phone here. But I've been driving and that's happened to me. And, and was that a real outside? I thought you guys were like, because I was talking about cars, I was like, look at these guys in the back doing like the effects to the talk. That's cool. Um, man, that would have been, you know, don't try that or anything, but that would have been cool. Um, so I've been driving and, and you're, you, the 3G logo disappears and you're like, dude, I don't know where I am because this blue dot had me going for a while, but now the blue dot is gone. And you're waiting for the 3G logo to pop. The 3G logo is like the trailer. As long as that sucker pops up, you know your phone's going to track with you. And so tonight, as we continue in Philippians chapter 2, that is what we are talking about tonight. We are talking about when, you are, when, you, when you're trying to find the trailer, when you're trying to find the 3G symbol, you're trying to find that one thing that makes you not so lost. And that's really, really what we're hitting really hard tonight. I'm just going to kind of warn you, we're hitting that hard tonight. What if you're lost tonight? What is that thing that makes you found? Philippians chapter 2 talks about that thing, the trailer or the 3G logo. And so if you're first time here or you're, you're, you've been out for a few weeks, we started a series um, a few weeks ago 
just straight through Philippians chapter 2. It's a book in the Bible, the book of Philippians, and we're just tracking straight through chapter 2. Um, and, and last week, we really looked at these set of verses that go along with tonight's verse. But we decided to break it up so we could really spend a lot of time talking about the, the, that, that thing that, that makes us found tonight. But last week, we, uh, we talked about verses 5 through 7, if you're here and took notes, um, and really looked at our example in Jesus. The Bible says that we have an example, and it tells us that we can have the, light, the like-mindedness or the character of life that Jesus had. As Christians, that is ours. It says that it is yours in Christ Jesus. So if you have your Bible tonight, open it up to Philippians 2 if you're already there. Um, we're going to read verses 5 through 8. We went through verses 5 through 7 last week. Um, we're going to read those again because it kind of goes with verse 8, which we're in tonight. So here's what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Hold on right there. That's what we talked about last week, right? Does anyone remember? Nod your head if you remember. That's what we talked about last week. Okay, here's what that says. Have this character. I feel like everything's behind me tonight. I'm like, dude, Jaira forgot his phone up here, and it's not going off, and that's really embarrassing. Okay, you're good. It's probably uh, Instagram, you know, that thing just popping off. Oh, it's not? Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you played that off well, Cheyenne, because she's freaking out over there, and you're just like, yep, that's nice. Um. Anyways, where was that? Oh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. Thanks for throwing me off, guys. Um, just kidding. Uh, so here's what we said last week, is we said that this, this shows that as Christians, man, we could have the same like-mindedness, the same character of life as Jesus. In verse 6, it says, who, Jesus, being in the form of God. We talked about that last week, that Jesus Christ is 100% man, 100% God, and that he saw the state we were in. And we're going to talk about that a lot tonight. But that he came into our broken world. He stepped in. Remember, he's the guy who created the ant farm, and the ants were in trouble, so he becomes an ant. That's the illustration we use. And it's way bigger than that, but that's kind of a good illustration to see what happened when Jesus Christ became a man. Who being in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that he set aside some of his rightful privileges as God. He set those aside so that he could live like you and I. He was born a man. He was born into this world, a baby, a boy, a teenager, a man. And then verse 8, that's what we took off last week. And so then, then this was where we're at this week, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So you gotta, just got to picture this. Here's what happened. Jesus, we all, we're celebrating here in like a month. Isn't that crazy? Christmas is a month away, okay? Um, we're celebrating this, this birth of Jesus Christ. He was a baby. If you know the story, he's born in Bethlehem. And he's born in like a nasty animal trough. That's, where he's, that's the manger that we think is all pretty. It's gross. It's, it's animal trough. That's where they eat pigs and cows and whatever. So Jesus, God in the form of a man, comes and is born in a, in a, in a manger, in an in a animal trough. And he grows up. He's a kid. Man, he lives a normal life. He falls down and scrapes his knee. He plays with his friends. He's a normal. That's what it says there in verse 8, being found in human form. Jesus was a human to every extent except sin. 
Everything we do except sin, Jesus was. He scraped his knee. He played kickball or whatever, you know, the Israeli, Israeli form of kickball is. He played whatever sports they played. He grew up. He went to school. His, dad, his, his, his adopted dad, Joseph, was a, a carpenter. He built things. I don't know if you build things, but he built things. He lived a life. He was a teenager. However old you are tonight, unless you're above the age of about 33, Jesus lived your, your uh, stage of life. He was a teenager. He grew up. And then when he's 30 years old, the Bible says he starts preaching about this kingdom of God. And he starts telling people, hey, you know, like for thousands of years, the guy, the, you know, the Messiah that God told you was coming, that's me. I'm here. I know I don't look like you think I would look. I'm not like the pretty king that you thought I'd be. I didn't come and, and like with a loud shout say, hey, everyone, the Messiah is here. I was born in a manger and I grew up a normal life and nobody even knew who I was until 30 when I started talking about this stuff. And everyone come to me, follow me because I am the Messiah. I am here to save your life. The people of that day, the religious people, they didn't really dig that. They didn't want to hear that he was the Messiah because they, that didn't, they had kind of a thing in their head of who the Messiah would be, and that wasn't it. Jesus wasn't it because he didn't look nearly what he, they thought he should look like. And so eventually they get mad enough that they, they have him killed. And I don't know where you're at tonight. You know, when I was 17, I had, I had seen the cross, but I didn't know if it was just like that thing that 50 Cent like wore around his neck. I didn't know what the cross was, okay? I don't know if you know what the cross was or is, but... Um, tonight, we're going to talk about that. Tonight, we're going to look in detail about what is the cross. When Jesus was nailed to a cross, as Philippians 2.8 says, that he, it, was, it wasn't just a normal death. It was even death on a cross. So like, it's like this other level of death. And so tonight, um, instead of me just kind of listing a bunch of facts, um, I want to show you guys a video. And here, here's, the, here's like the, the preface to this is that um, this is from a pastor who is a pastor in Seattle, Washington. His name is Mark Driscoll. And he, uh, he really paints a picture that is real. But here's, here's the, the part about it being real is that it's very graphic. Okay, it really paints a picture of what went down on the cross. We see the cross and maybe Jesus got the crown of thorns and like a little blood dripping down. He kind of paints a picture and busts that out of the water and said, no, 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 this was what Roman crucifixion was like. This is what God did for you and I. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch this video, and then I'll come back up here and close us tonight. But um, check out this video. And again, it's graphic, but it's real. This really happened. This isn't, this isn't history book stuff where we just think about that war that happened, and we don't really care about the war. You know, you know the war of 1812 that really meant nothing to us, and we just learn about it in history. We, this is real stuff that tonight makes a big deal in our lives. So check out this video, and I'll come up here in a minute. How about Jesus? What exactly happened to Jesus? Well, the Bible records that the night before he was uh, in prayer and in anguish because he was betrayed by a friend, a pretend friend named Judas Iscariot. Judas had been with Jesus for three years. Jesus had fed him and loved him and taught him and cared for him and invested in him. And Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. It sounds like a lot. It's a couple hundred bucks. And Jesus knew that he was approaching the cross, and so he spent time, as was his custom, in a garden called Gethsemane. I've been there. It's a real place. The Bible's not a bunch of philosophy. It's history. 
And it says that Jesus asked his other friends to pray for him and they failed him and kept falling asleep and that Jesus was in such anguish that he was literally sweating drops of blood, which the medical reports will confirm only happens to those people who are under the most extreme emotional and psychological distress. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. He'd been talking about it his whole life. And he knew what the pain would be. In fact, crucifixion is so painful that a word was invented to articulate its horror. So the word excruciating literally means from the cross. Jesus was arrested. The Bible records that he was beaten by a mob of men. They blindfolded him, they beat him, and they blasphemed him all night. And then the Bible says simply, they took him and had him scourged. Now scourging was such that it often simply killed the victim. Many men didn't even live through the scourging because Jesus was young, because he was strong, he was a construction worker, he'd walked a lot over what I have seen is very rough, dry, hardy terrain, Jesus was a young man in his early 30s. He was in good physical condition. He was strong. That's why he lived as long as he did. And what they would do for the scourging is they would take a man and they would affix his hands above his head, usually in shackles and tie him to a post or over a large stone. And this would expose his neck and his shoulders and his back and his buttocks and his legs. And they'd strip him possibly naked or nearly naked, and then two executioners would stand on either side of the man. And they would whip the man with something called a flagrum or a cat of nine tails, and it was a handle, usually made out of wood, that had protruding from it long straps of leather. Affixed at the end of each strap of leather was a ball made out of either metal or sometimes out of stone, and that would tenderize the human flesh as you would a piece of meat for a barbecue. And then also there were hooks at the end, usually out of metal as well. And so the flagrum would whip the man across the back and all the leather straps would spread and the flesh would be tenderized and then the hooks would sink in deeply. And then the executioner would give a tug on the handle to ensure that all of the hooks were deep into the man's body, and then he would literally rip the flesh off of the man's body. And this would penetrate down to deep tissue. And this would happen over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And the men would just take turns doing their job, inflicting as much pain as was possible. And again, this too was predicted in the, in the word of God, in the, the book that God wrote. In Isaiah 52, verse 14, it said that his appearance would be marred beyond human likeness. That had Jesus' mother or brothers just walked up on him during his flogging, they wouldn't have even recognized him. Perchance, he didn't even look like a human being maybe a bloodied animal or just a pile of meat. At this point, Jesus is bleeding profusely. 
His body is laboring to survive. He has been up all night. He has taken a beating while blindfolded and blasphemed from an angry mob of men for hours. And now his body is in absolute shock and the process of death has begun. What they then do is in mockery, they give him a crown of thorns and they make him carry a Roman crossbar. This crossbar would weigh upwards of 100 pounds. Think an enormous railroad tire, the kind of beam that you would use uh, to secure a roof in an ancient home. And they laid it across his back. Can you imagine what that felt like? Your back is bloodied and traumatized. You've got wounds down to the deep tissue and organs. And they throw on your back. He was a strong man. He was a carpenter. He had carried this kind of roughly hewn timber, but they threw it on his back to carry on a long walk through a place called the Via Della Rosa, the way of the cross. I've walked it. It's real. And as Jesus is carrying it, he's so exhausted and beaten and near death that the Bible records that he fell face down and collapsed under the weight of the cross, the cross bar. Now, the medical experts who have examined this in various non-Christian medical journals, they say that if, if in fact, um, Jesus fell face down with his hands over the cross carrying it, that the weight and the pressure on the chest as he hit the ground would have been the equivalent of a a head-on high-speed car wreck. And that's exactly what it was like. That's why Simon of Cyrene was appointed to help him carry the cross because Jesus had now undergone what we would say medically was a deep chest contusion. Nonetheless, Jesus concludes his walk to his place of crucifixion. And this carpenter who himself driven many nails has, again, the equivalent of railroad spikes driven through the most sensitive nerve centers on the human body, the hands and the feet. And the crossbar is affixed to the, to the main post and then he is lifted up and it is dropped into the ground and his body shakes violently. And looking him in the eye are all who are mocking him and he sees his own mother. And at that moment, Jesus could have called down and a legion of angels. He could have called out to his followers to to fight. He didn't. Because Isaiah had predicted 700 years prior in the book that God wrote, like a lamb that is led before shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And Jesus cries out many things on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, God the Father, the first member of the Trinity, turned his back on God the Son, the second member of the Trinity. In that moment, the God who became a man atoned for the sin of men. Something happened in that moment. Something legal, something spiritual, something eternal happened in that moment. Jesus traded places with us. He became our substitute. And our sin was imputed or reckoned or granted to him. Because see, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it perfectly. God made him to, who knew no sin to become sin. What was worse than suffering was becoming sin. And our God took our place. Because see, here's what happens, friends. 
from our first father and our first mother, they in the garden substituted themselves for God. They said, we'll be God. And then God becomes a man and he goes to the cross and he substitutes himself for us and says, the wage for sin is death. I shall die for you. Father, forgive them. And so Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's when sin is atoned for. That's when Jesus' prayer of Father, forgive them is answered. And then he cries out, it is finished! In a loud, triumphant cry. There's a bunch of eyewitnesses that, that witnessed this, and we read about them in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's what, here's what Luke's account says of, of what, just, what Driscoll just talked about. This is, this is what Luke says. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So we got this cross. And now you kind of see what really happened for me. Man, if I would have seen that video the first time I walked into church, it would have blown my mind because I, I, I didn't know what the cross was. I see this sign. You see this sign on Bibles, on bumper stickers, on uh, people's necklaces, everywhere you go. But the cross is a symbol of that. Why? Why do we wear that all over the place? Why that bloody, gruesome, crazy, gory scene where Jesus dies for us? Why do we, why do we wear that? Why is that good news? It's good news because tonight it's a place to be found. It's the trailer at the top of the ravine. It is the 3G logo when the blue dot stops moving. Because here's the reality, guys. There's, in this room, there are dozens, probably everybody in the room has walked through a time when you're just like, dude, this world is broken. I have been hurt. I have hurt people. I have sinned. You have sinned. We've seen brokenness. We've seen pain. We've seen all this stuff. And tonight, the cross says, This is a place to be found. In the lostness of the world, in the lostness of some of us are walking through, this is a place to be found. Jesus went through, as Driscoll said, the word excruciating comes from the cross. For what? For sin. For you and me. For all the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and everything that we walk through every single day when we live in this world. A perfect man who lived a perfect life, never sinning, never never breaking God's law, hangs on a cross for us. Here's the reality. All of us look at the cross tonight. Unless you ran out of the room and closed your ears, we saw the video. We heard what happened. What went down 2,000 years ago on this mountain in Jerusalem We saw it. And some of you tonight are lost. I was lost at one point. I was in the middle of the desert. I had no no realization that somebody came to save me. I was lost. And so tonight, the cross is a place to be found. But some of you are found tonight. And you look at the cross tonight too. 
Because some of you have looked at the cross and maybe you heard the story and you see Jesus hanging on the cross and you see that picture. But for whatever reason, something gets to us and we run the other way and we turn off the 3G because we don't really care that the blue dot stops moving. We run into the middle of the desert and we act like there's not a place to be found. The book of Colossians paints a picture tonight of, of, of what happened on the cross. Again, the whole New Testament is all about the cross and all about Jesus' sacrifice for you and I. And really tonight I want to look at two, two things that the cross says. And they're on your notes page there. And the cross says a lot of things, but we're going to look at two of them tonight. And then we're going to finish up and break up into some groups. Here's the first thing. The first thing is that sin is taken care of. Your debt was paid. Jesus hangs on a cross for you and for me so that we don't have to walk with the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and the sin. Jesus put it all on himself and said, it is finished. Your debt is paid. As I was saying in Colossians, the Bible says this in verse 13 of chapter 2. Verse 13 and 14 says, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Some of you are there tonight. Some of you have been there. All of us have been there. Maybe, maybe you've been found and maybe you've accepted Jesus' forgiveness. But the Bible says that you were dead before we saw the cross, before we accepted Jesus' sacrifice for us. We were dead because of our sins separated from God. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. Verse 14, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. The Bible says that literally all the sin of the world was nailed to the cross in Jesus. Here's what that means tonight. It means that hate was nailed to the cross. Maybe that's you. Maybe, man, maybe you got some hate in you. You got some pain that has happened to you and it just fleshes itself out in hate. The Bible says that lust was nailed to the cross. The stuff we walk through, our heart just wants that thing. It lusts for something. God says, no, that was nailed to the cross. You don't have to be alone anymore. You don't have to be in this, in this world of, of loneliness and brokenness. Anger's nailed to the cross tonight. Insecurity is nailed to the cross. The pain some of you are walking through. The Bible says that sin was nailed to the cross. And all of us look at that tonight and we either accept it or we reject it. And that thing could be full of everything that we've ever walked through or will ever walk through, past, present, future, is nailed to the cross. But here's what we do. 
students, 6th through 12th grade, all over the city, all over this world, walk around bearing their junk, bearing stuff. The insecurity, the loneliness, the brokenness, the pain, the hurt, the parents' divorce, all on your shoulders as a 6th through 12th grader. Jesus says, no. The the cross is a place to be found tonight. I died for all that stuff you're carrying. It's done. It's finished. I beat it. So put it where it belongs. Your sin was taken care of. Your debt was paid. You don't have to bear the things that some of you are bearing today. Here's the second thing the cross says tonight. The cross says Jesus wants a relationship with you. Jesus didn't die on the cross for sin because he wanted to hang there for sin's sake. Jesus died on the cross so that he can have a relationship with you. He saw the brokenness of the world. He saw the state that all of us were walking in. And he said, that is not my desire for their lives. And he comes. Perfect Man. And he's beaten and he's murdered and he hangs on the cross with all that on his shoulders because he wants a relationship with you. Some of you are walking through that stuff right now. Some of you are in that stuff right now and you're lonely. You're all alone. I was there at 17, man. I didn't know what was going on in my life, but I I knew I didn't have anybody to turn to because even my best friend or my parents or whoever else, they might be able to help me in the moment, but there was something that was missing. There was something that my heart was beating for that I didn't know what it was. And somebody told me it's Jesus. Somebody told me, no, listen, you were created for, for a relationship with God. And until you get there, Your soul and your heart will always be wanting. Some of you are there tonight. Or maybe you've accepted that forgiveness. But you've taken them off the cross and you've put them on yourself. And it's almost like you need to get back to the place where you can look at the cross and say, God, I've already already tasted and seen that you've done this for me, but I've, I've walked away from that. I've ran in the middle of the desert and got myself lost. I ran in the middle of the desert and found myself realizing, man, I'm bearing all my sin again. Jesus says, come back to the cross and cling to what I've done for you. If you are not a Christian tonight, like I was when I was 16, sitting in a church service just like this, Jesus Christ is relentlessly pursuing you. Like he's chasing after you. He's saying, stop running into the middle of the desert. I've taken care of all the stuff you're running from right now. I've taken care of all the stuff you deal with right now. 
don't miss what I'm about to say. Jesus Christ has more grace than you do sin. He has more grace than you do pain. He has more grace than you do insecurity. He has more grace than you have hurt and brokenness. There was a man, a Roman officer at the cross that day. And he saw the whole thing go down. He might have thrown in a punch or two. He saw it go down. What Driscoll explained, that bloody mess, he saw that happen. And when Jesus said, it is finished, and he breathed his last breath, the centurion, the Bible says, says, that man was innocent. He got it. He understood it. He looked at it and said, something happened just right then. When that guy died, something big happened. And he was right. Sin was taken care of forever. God broke through the broken world and said, I want a relationship with the kids at Refuge. November 11, 2011, I want a relationship with the kids in that room. That's what this is for. The ages and people, I want, I want a relationship with them. And it was impossible before this moment. I made it possible. 